is Lorena Junco Margain, and I'm so excited for this journey. We decided to launch this podcast to share my story with the hope that you could connect the dots of your life and truly be on your way. Today on On My Way, we move from fear to forgiveness as Lorena shares how she turned a tragic event into a blessing in disguise. Hello, friends. This is Lorena, and thank you for listening on my way. We're back here with our guests, Elizabeth, Lulu, Yuni, and our star guest, Renu Namiyoshi. Now we're talking about Elizabeth's specialty, which is fashion and the importance of that being even healing, how what you wear needs to feel good, and you also have to be forgiving to your own body. You need time to recover after um, going through a health issue. And I've learned through Renu, who is a Ayurvedic practitioner and a astro Vedic astrologer. She introduced me the term, which is Vastu. Vastu is equivalent to, let's say, the Feng Shui of India. It, it comes full circle when you want to put it body, mind and spirit, because there's intentionality behind everything you do. So I would love Renu to guide us. First of all, how is it that we draw color into a wardrobe, into your furnishings, your surrounding? How is it that you can make a house or a space accommodate or be healing and be a place for nourishment? Well, I think where we left off was that in the yogic Vedic system of healing, there's no thing that's not medicine. Everything is healing and can, can help us as a medicine. The Vastu section kind of is very much like Feng Shui, except Vastu goes well beyond that. Vastu is also involved in architecture. And the space itself should be healing. And if you look at Indian temples, the idea was that when you walked in there, the, all the five elements were in balance, so they would come into balance within you. And that's very broad definition of Vastu. As far as colors go, colors are, are a big part of the therapy in the Ayurvedic medicine system and also in Vedic astrology. We use them. We use, For example, in Ayurveda, we would say, we, we learned briefly about Vata, Pitta, and Kapha, the three doshas, which tend to cause us all kinds of problems. So if you have high Vata, for example, you would be prescribed more muted colors like pink, mauve, soft colors. One of the things that if you have high vata and you walk into a room with a lot of fluorescent, for example, or bright colors, it will agitate. You won't know because you're not familiar. Now you are, so you will know. So we generally prescribe softer colors, muted tones like pink, mauve, th those colors, even white. White works very well for vata. For kapha, kapha is very cooling. So we prescribe warming colors. We might tell them to wear bright red. We might tell them because they tend to be more grounded in reality and more, more into the heart, for example, kapha people. They're more emotional people. So the colors we recommend there might be um, more warming colors that kind of get them stimulated because kapha tends to be sluggish. So we want to give them warming colors. And then pitta, you know, pitta will gravitate to red because it's a power color. But pitta will be agitated by bright colors as well. They need more browns and greens and blue or white to dampen the fire. 
I mean, I've given you a very brief introduction. You're basically taking the element, you know, if it's fire, you don't want to add more fire to it. Mm -hmm. It's a very simple principle in Ayurveda. If you have too much fire, cool it down. If you have too much cooling, heat it up. So, and we say like increases likes. And the tendency of humans is if you are pitta, you will like bright colors. You will like red. You will like the jarring colors. It's your, and so you're aggravating. You will like to exercise more. And if you're more kapha, you will naturally go to cooling colors. But what you need is the opposite. Opposite heals and like increases. Okay. So that's a very brief introduction on how colors can be used in therapy and in, in wardrobe consultations, for example. It's a very important thing. And you know, in, in India, it's really funny because we don't wear black. In north of India, it's totally forbidden. Mm. And so much of our clothings are black in the West. But mm -hmm. yeah. if you go to India, the colors people wear. So it's part of the culture. Color is part of the culture. Very much so. All of this is sort of built into the the way people dress. And they think about, you know, they think about their, their healing and even the way they decorate their houses. I've even heard you mention like, oh, rubies are not for you or, you know... <laughs> Would that oh. be this theme or? Yes, yes. it is. In Vedic astrology healing, I don't use it personally myself. I'm wearing a pearl. That's for the moon. Uh, <laughs> but one of the remedies we use are precious stones because the precious stone carries the energy of that color, right? The moon, uh, the white color is the moon. So the pearls are used uh, for uh, any affliction to the moon. But I'm not an expert on that. I'm not actually very, I personally have done some experiment with it and it's a long story, but a lot of Vedic astrologers will prescribe, but it is to do with the colors. Yes. So there's no such thing as your birthstone color. I think they've got the basic concept right, but you have to look at the horoscope and decide which, which okay. stone, um, you know, if you want to enhance your Jupiter, then you will wear the yellow sapphire. The problem with is that these stones are to, to have their real effect, you have to buy precious stones and they're extremely expensive. They cannot, you can't, you know, they have to be substantial and Indian jewelers know how to make them by touching your skin. And most people, you know, in India, they will spend, you know, a lot of money on a precious gem because they believe it will influence them. But most people, you know, then they go out and get synthetic ones and that won't do it. But the concept is the same. The precious stones like sapphires and diamonds and rubies, they carry The, the colors the of the prism, which can influence our physical, mental, spiritual constitution. Which is a whole spectrum of light, yes, right? Yes, exactly. And so are the planets, actually. The planets have the same colors. The, the fun thing when you study the Vedic system in whole is it's all connected and links. You know, they're sister sciences. They're not one. Yoga is not off on its own. They're all connected. And that's really the work I do. I do integrative. I integrate. I also integrate Western medicine as well, Western science. Yes, and I recall you mentioning in a Western world, we have misused the yoga concept, thinking it's exercise, and it's more like a lifestyle. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, yoga has become kind of fitness industry, particularly in recent years. And, you know, yoga, yes, it's also lifestyle, but even asana So yoga simply means to union, to become whole, to bring the yin and the yang together. That's all yoga means. So what we are doing together is yoga. Mm -hmm. You're talking about asana, right? Asana, of course, has become, you know, a big billion dollar industry of fitness, that type of stuff. And that, you know, it's fairly controversial. But 
I think there's some very beautiful things with it too. You know, cultures adapt to their lifestyles, right? Sometimes the spiritual aspect is lost in yoga. Mm-hmm. You know, my personal belief is that yoga, because I, mean, I do see a lot of yoga injuries as well, it's really you have to make your mind flexible and then your body flexibility follows. But oftentimes you're forcing the body flexibility while the mind is still rigid and then you will see injuries. But there are a lot of very good yoga teachers that I work with that are out there, you know, and, and more and more we are combining. If you combine Ayurveda with yoga, it becomes very powerful. While we were having a break, we were talking about, oh, I needed to move. And and then we were asking, where do you store your stress? Is that related to the imbalance of the chakra or it's more of a constitution? For example, Lulu says, I benefit a lot from exercise, right? Movement. That's kind of your therapy. Yeah. Since, well, I think since I was very young, it was my therapy. I had a hard upbringing and that that was an outlet I had. Even if I will go to classes really late at night, I will come home at 9 p.m. and I will go and run for an hour from 10 to 11. And <laughs> you're, just... you're aggravating pitta. You're <laughs> aggravating the fire element. Yes. Okay. And then I, I did that a lot. And for many, many years, even I will say recently, maybe 10 years ago, that really fulfilled, I don't know, I... I felt I have to feel strong physically to to feel strong emotionally. That's the way I used to feel. But now that I'm a little older, I've been meditating more. And like you said, everything is a muscle, forgiveness. So I've been meditating more, doing more yoga and being a little more gentle with myself. I still do the exercise that I like. and, And there are days that it just feels great to do it. You also talk very often about you visualizing yourself as a kid, as a girl. Does that have to do anything with your life story? You know, when when I was meditating, I saw myself as a girl a lot, but I could never be with that little girl. She was always far away. But because of 2020, I've been meditating more And, you know, I go on and off because, you know, we have our cycles within this 2020. It's one month Mm -hmm. and after month. And I can now say I can hug different aspects of myself. And I can hug the little girl. And I remember in one of my meditations when I was able to hug finally the little girl that I always saw her so far. But I, I was always in a kind of in a darker side, and she was always in a colorful place. Mm, beautiful. Way yeah. more colorful than uh, where I was as an adult. But eventually, slowly, the little girl has come to me, and now we can hug. And, and I remember the first time, first time I felt hugging myself, I cried a lot that day. Slowly, it was, it was, it was funny how just these 15 minutes Uh, of meditation, slowly I will see another version of myself. And I will see the teenager that was very hurt, especially in in a specific moment. And she was sitting away too. I can hold her hand now. So I've been growing into these meditations little by little. And I don't know, I don't know why I have these versions of me. I don't know why I went into that. Honestly, I don't know why. 
it just came to me slowly because there's another version of myself in the water <laughs> dressing in white. So I don't know why, but that version of myself feels more at peace. So I don't know the explanation of it, but I, I felt a lot of healing doing these meditations and having this, I don't know, these scenes of different versions of myself that I can suddenly get close to them together or just grab a hand. I don't know. It's just, It might be different for some people, but that's what happened to me. Lulu, when you finally hugged yourself, mm -hmm. were you still in the dark and the little girls no. in color or did you have color? No, I was by the beach because I always were always in this cliff. I'm always in this cliff where I look up the ocean. Okay. That's, I don't know, that's a place I mm. have. I go, I go there. Sometimes there's another one where there's always water. When I see my whole family, the dead people are on on the sides, not on the water, on the actual land. So I don't know what that means. Sometimes we're all holding hands, going through a river. Uh, my brothers and I, and my aunt, uh, I have three younger brothers. So I don't know what that means, but that brings me a lot of joy. I was feeling really low in the summer because I was gonna spend uh, my birthday with my whole family. So I think when I was meditating, I was going to those places just to feel that boy that I was not gonna go and spend time with family. But I don't know, eventually, and then and then some, I don't know, it, it, it's the meditation has taken me to different places. And even, even, I haven't told you this, but I went to India in February, Reno. I, ne I have never meditated for a whole hour. And we took a class, Dharamsala, where... Wow. Yes. Could you tell us uh, what is Dharamsala? Dharamsala is a city in the north, up in the mountains, and where the Dalai Lama lives. Okay. And that's, that's very, that was a place very special for my aunt, because she takes Vipassana meditations retreats, which is our in silent. So we just took a class just for fun. We were not there to take a whole retreat. But after that, that class, a whole hour of meditation, I felt that a vibration. It's it's weird, like you're when you're like a candle. Like when you're moving, like when you're it moving, a, a, like it flickers a little bit inside of you, but almost you're moving, but you're not moving. Mm -hmm. Very weird. So after that, I think that that little sensation stayed with me. And I think it helped me advance in, in my meditations. That's all I can say about my meditations, that it has helped me heal whatever I have to heal without going into words, but it's just going into a place where I can hug myself and I can, I don't know, I just see my, myself or see my eyes. Because I, I, I have done, re remember that other therapy we did? It was kind of a regret, not regression, but you, you were going through steps really low and I had a really hard experience seeing myself in a very ugly state. I didn't realize that person I was helping when I was doing that meditation, that person was ugly, but I, I had the need to help him. And then when I saw the eyes of the person, I realized it was me. 
So that was a very, it was very hard to realize that. So I think it's been a, a work in progress, basically, putting a, a foot in front of the other and growing slowly. But I feel better. I think I'm healing. I think I'm working in forgiveness because I, I, I had a hard relationship with my parents. My parents and I, uh, we just have very different ideologies. So I have to stop seeing them for eight years because I, in my movie, in the way, in my values, they were toxic to me. So I have to protect my, my own environment, my own family. But something happened to them. And then because I have compassion, I went back and spoke to them and start to spend more time with them, help them, even if... It was just a 45-minute visit. I will go and be with them and trying to work on forgiveness. Because as, as we talk, that's a gift for you. That's the work you do for yourself, no, for them. So my dad passed away last year, and I, I, I feel at peace. I feel pretty, pretty good. And then I speak to my mom. I realize I'm not going to be the person she wants me to be. She's not going to be the person I want her to be. But maybe, I mean, we have had our up and downs, but we're trying to find a common ground. And I, I'm still working on it. You're on your way. <laughs> I'm on my way. Yes. yes. Right. So, yes, family is definitely a very important topic for, for all of us. Working your inner child, and I think that will follow you forever understanding that your parents were doing the best they could at the time sometimes yes. is hard yes but when you as you mentioned you see compassion and understanding on how we, how they interpreted the, their own world so and from what i've learned is that you can see that in the chart on how your moon and your sun is positioned, mm -hmm. which is your father and your mother. I was just mother. reading Lulu's chart. I, I do remember where your moon is. Yeah, I remember you <laughs> told me about my moon. And that made me sad. I think you're in Moon Dasha right now. I, I haven't looked at your chart. Okay, but well, yeah. yeah. That so, made me a little sad when I found out, but that, that was my reality. Yeah. I mean. But you know also what I've noticed, Lulu, is that, you know, in a way... They have been your greatest teachers. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the way you mother your two boys, it's just mm. outstanding. Yes. You're an amazing mm. mother. If there is a word that, that does not fit in your home, it's abandonment. Yes. And a lot of nourishment and love. And so I think that in a way you have beat that part of, yes. of what you were cursed to you know, to roll out and you, you forgave, you, you moved forward. And I, you're right. And, and I saw this therapist that told me this, uh, if you go through a tsunami or an earthquake that shatters your life and really changes everything, your health, your house, you lose two kids, your parents, You're not going to be angry to the tsunami forever. And that tsunami came to your life to learn something. So we have our own little tsunamis and earthquakes to learn and grow. Or we choose to be angry or we choose to find a lesson. I want to choose that I have to go through some tsunamis to be the person I have to be. 
that's that's something. Thank you for sharing. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think also part of becoming an adult is the difference between a child and an adult is that, you know, because of course I do a lot of work with people, a lot of anger at parents. But part of being, you know, you become an adult when you don't need your parents to be any different. It's a child that needs the adult parents to be different. You know, and, and I think in my 25 years of doing this, there's only been one time where forgiveness was not the path for that person. Only once, because it was, that's only God can forgive. You know, we can't forgive that kind of, but for most part, it is just knowing that, you know, as an adult, you don't need your parents to be any different. They give you what they can and the rest you have to make yourself. I know it's it's hard. It is hard, but you 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 have to push through and realize that and then... And do it for yourself, because nobody is going to be there to do it for you. I always you. remember my favorite cartoon I ever saw was Children of Normal Parent Conference. There was one, <laughs> one person sitting in the audience. <laughs> uh, I know. Yes, and now, now that we're laughing, I haven't mentioned my dearest uni. Part of the healing process that has been so helpful for me is your laughter. Your laughter, your <laughs> spirit is just so contagious. I know you're keeping it to you right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But we just laugh so much by with one eye, you know, That's gaze right. of the eye and we I think that we need humor in life when tragedy strikes and just learn how to to laugh and I think you also um excrete hormones when you laugh because oh, it's so oh, healing yeah, just to let go of that energy and in the book I mentioned and I learned this through Renu that like if you cut an onion mm -hmm. your eyes tear up but if you cry due to an emotion those droplets have hormones in it mm -hmm. so it's a natural way of your body to expel what what you know what is stress. not needed mm -hmm. stress and I think that laughter also makes Make, has that effect. It re-energizes you. It moves your whole body. And um... Have you seen laughing yoga? No. Is there one? Of course. No. It's a very big thing. Laughing oh. yoga. Uh -huh, Google it. Oh, you yes. literally go, oh, it's 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 very old tradition. You just go and you laugh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's called laughing yoga. You can Google it. It's, um, it's, it's not new age. It's, it's ancient. Is it like India? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Called laughing yoga. Wow. Huh. That is everything I wouldn't think yoga is. You know? <laughs> And then I want to share with you where, where my vision with Casa Lotus has been. You know, it is not about the house I'm building, but about the journey. I'm learning and I'm, I'm in the path of learning and will always be. I understood the importance of, you know, the, the physical, the material and the spiritual and how they all need to be balanced and uh, I've just been more aware of surrounding myself with people that bring the better self of me and right now we are building a house and the reason we named it Casa Lotus is um, it's a flower and it they commonly use it in yoga and spirituality because it's a flower that only thrives in murky water But then when it blooms, you cannot find the dust, a, a particle of dust in it. So mm -hmm. it's like a way of enlightenment, if you, mm -hmm. if we can call it that. And casa obviously connects to my roots, to a word that means so many things for me. And it's not about the house I am building. It's about 
the restoration process I am going through. I am rebuilding my physical body, my emotional body, and also the material one with a with a higher consciousness, with being intentional about, you know, my relationships, being intentional about the materials I pick, who I pick as an architect, if if his values and mine align. It it was hard to me to believe that there was such thing as perfection, but the whole process has been that because when you are open to the humanity of each of us, it just works out instead of being the victim of, of course, COVID messed up with my house and this has taken two more years. So it has just made it more me, more enriched and even sturdier. And so that's why I call Casa Lotus a work in progress. And mm -hmm. in the book, I talk about it. I, I, I think Casa Lotus is... Everyone has a Casa Lotus. Everyone should think about their, you know, in the center you have your soul and then whatever you wrap around it, being your kids, your emotions, the food, the materials. We we can create a whole movement. And when these things align, I think that the soil is fertile for, for forgiveness and for gratitude and for Things that maybe our hearts were closed because we went through hardships. And I don't know if you have anything to talk about, Renu, regarding that, about our heart being open and to service. And when it's closed, you can see when someone is going through a, through a hard process. And part of me doing this is opening up, even if it's very vulnerable, because that's what I, I truly feel. I think that opening up the process of how I build the house, sharing resources, even about the materials, the toxicity, there's stuff I would have never imagined. I, I sometimes feel I'm very naive and who would put formaldehyde in wood? Like that's so wrong. But now that I've been learning, it's, it's actually very common practice. And then so first I was frustrated with the medical practices and then I was frustrated and then I became so angry like why why is the world like this why are we destroying each other and then I was like wait how is Lorena interpreting it how can Lorena make this better how can I educate myself and maybe share a higher standard or a way to do it but I think that to be with open heart there needs to be I don't know what it would be. Would it be ritual or is it a muscle or what do you suggest we do so we can all start our own process to build that Casa Lotus? Because we are all very unbalanced, if you put it in that way. One of us excels maybe religiously, but not doing exercise or food is junk it's not being used as medicine and is there a common ground or a practice that you could tell us start off by doing this to get on your way i i think it's more a journey you know uh, people often ask me that you know what can i do and i always tell them if i knew i would be living in hollywood uh, <laughs> right i think it's a journey and i think for you me i mean my own journey started i was a you know I was a very normal 
soccer mom um, after my daughter was born. And then I had, for most people, I had a healing crisis. I suddenly got very sick. This is back 30, well, 27 years ago when Nikita, my daughter, was born. And that the first question, you know, even at that time, it started with very toxic medicines. And, and you know, so it was, I hope, no, I don't want to do this. So then, you know, then from there I went to health Then I went to, you know, so I think it's a journey. I don't think it's a process of what you can do. In a sense, the, 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 the moving up the chakras is a journey and you can't really skip a step. I think that's part of what we do a lot in the new age system. You know, we want to skip the steps. We don't, we want to go, we want to go meditate all day, but we haven't taken care of our, you know, our closet, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it's, you can't skip, you, you haven't taken care of your foundational needs and then, you know, or the other way around. So if you look at it as a journey, what I call the hero's journey, it's a step-by-step. Step. And in the Zodiac, you go from, you know, Aries to Pisces. And it's, uh, you know, departure, initiation, and return. And so as you move further along, so as you said, for you, you went from first, you know, health, and then, you know, and then that got you into diet and, you know, eating healthy. And we talked a lot about that. And then I mentioned Vastu. And I think of, you know, the lotus to me is so beautiful because it relates to the planet Venus in the horoscope. You're running Venus planetary period. You're about 15. You've got 15 more years. And to me, the lotus is the, what, but not to me, but we, why it's the most sacred symbol in Hindu iconography it's the most sacred symbol. You see it on all the goddesses everywhere because it is beauty without the muck. And, and so much of what we live in materiality today, we have beautiful houses, but because we want to live in the biggest house we can afford, we have formaldehyde and it's shortcuts. So I think it's the Venus represents beauty is a God-given gift, but artificial beauty becomes toxic. So I think for what I would to answer your question in Ayurveda, we say the heart lotus is right here in the chest breast area. And my teacher uh, who passed away, who taught me Ayurveda, he used to say that like, a, you know, the petals of the lotus. But when we get hurt, every time we get hurt, one more petal closes. And most of us are really walking around with all the petals closed. And he used to say that you could, your heart can either be open or closed, which is really scary. It, what that means is you're either... Why, you know, open, your heart lotus is open or it's closed down. So uh, I think that it's, um, it's a process. I, I visualize when I meditate, you know, petal by petal opening, I want as many open. I'm not going to say my heart is completely open because we've all been hurt. We've all, you know, as children. So I think that process continues. There are lots of wonderful therapies. Marma therapy is wonderful. I've done that on you. Mm -hmm. um, you can use... I do think that having a daily spiritual practice is critical because our minds will forget, you know, anxiety rolls in, but having a daily spiritual practice, which is whatever it is, 20 minutes of meditation or, you know, so, you know, too busy. And I know it's hard for busy moms. I think slowly over time, you're moving up the chakras and you're dropping the toxicity both physically and also mentally and spiritually. But always look at it as a journey, not as a thing you can do. And it's different for every person. Every person has a unique path. Come so it's just I get up every day and I take my next step. You know, I'm still moving up 
I'm, I'm moving on the journey. When I get there, I'll get there. Hopefully with a completely open heart. <laughs> Lorena Junco Margain, passionate art collector, devoted wife and mother, is already shaken after fleeing Mexico with her family while pregnant due to concerns for their safety. After arriving in her new home in Austin, Texas, she learns she has a tumor on her adrenal gland. Although not life-threatening, the condition is serious and requires surgery right away. Having long experienced unexplained symptoms of dizziness and lethargy that neither medications nor holistic or Ayurvedic treatments have helped, she embraces the news with tears of relief. With a simple surgery, she can regain her strength and joyful spirit. But fate can be mischievous, and to err is human, even for surgeons. Rather than improve after surgery, her condition worsens. On the way to Casa Lotus is the gripping true story of Junka Margain's journey coming to terms with the permanent consequences of a surgeon's devastating mistake. Mindful that even good people make errors and that vengeance such as legal action would not mend her broken body or soul, she chooses instead to embark on a quest for peace and healing, beginning by seeking space in her heart to forgive. You can get your copy of On the Way to Casa Lotus on Amazon or at LorenaJuncoMargain.com. reading an article Lorena and I thought about you because they say meditation yoga you know the savasana and art are among the things that will nurture your soul and the brain will start to make connections or it will lighten different parts of the brain when when you're a creative person when you're contemplating art so it's, it's a meditation state, too. So you, you have to think about that in your creative, artful side. Yes. In the book, you'll read, art has always been present in my life in a way, in a very experimental way. In my wedding, it was part of my thesis. I hand-painted the carpet where we... The aisle runner. Yeah, the, the aisle runner, correct. <laughs> It was a very, very long one, and I remember just thinking of nothing while I did each petal and vine, and, you know, I just kept pushing and rolling, pushing and rolling, and I put some cameras, and I just, my theory was to see if beauty in a city or something beautiful would be treated differently than something that, that isn't. Since I'm a kid, I'm like, if I had a bucket of paint, I would paint that wall, you know, and the city would look prettier. It's, there's, I have attraction with, with that media. And, and it was true. I mean, some people just walked through it. Some of, some of them tiptoed. Some of them would just kneel down and touch it. But what it made for sure was have a reaction. And that just clicked and I said, okay, definitely this is my language. You know, I, I, I want to provoke these emotions in people. So that has made my passion become even more philanthropic in helping artists that are, unfortunately in Mexico, there's not a lot of incentives to raise them and... It's been creating platforms and, 
you know, showing them abroad in London twice. And actually, Lulu, you own one of our artists, beautiful painting. And what people don't know is that when you buy art, you're affecting directly a whole community. And that I have witnessed firsthand. It is exactly the same as saving Cedric's heart. There is not one stronger thing than the other because there are people that are just simple. Their, their body makeup is through creation, right? Through creativity and that's their language and that's how they're paid. They go to school. That's how they uh, sustain their families. And so I've started to see that it's another language. It's like music. And for me, it's part of the meditation process. Like if today I needed to get pumped up to be here, because, you know, I'm not an early riser. <laughs> so I just put music that just, you know, got me in that state. And I exactly know what music I'll listen later to just unwind. And, and I believe that's the power of art. And I've also used it as a as a journaling process. So what my vision is that it's a storytelling uh, process. So eventually the collection will talk about our story as a family and bring some smiles, some tears, but it will be a full narration of what we went through and that has been my language. So thank you for bringing that up. Yes, I thought about you when I read about it and then and then you like to observe the reactions of people like when you did that project you don't only enjoy doing the art I mean you like to observe in the way it was touching different people you yes. know if, if, if they stop and look or not you know and history is narrated through art I've noticed that so much with the book watching her reaction from everyone that's read the book I notice how satisfying that is for you, too. So that's interesting you pointed that out. And you have so many incredible art references in your book. You tied a lot of examples and descriptions of the art in your home or art that you have come across in throughout this journey, and you've incorporated it in, into the book. And I think that's Literally, when I, very, for example, one is cool. an exploding skull. Yes, yes, the yeah. Damien Hirst. Uh -huh, when I see it, I can feel right. the emotions see, yeah. when I when I was going right. through that. So it's amazing. It, it was truly I couldn't just grasp yeah. the concept of right. the medical malpractice that had happened. Right, and you know, it, it was just perfect for that moment. And the amazing thing is. I don't know the artist, he doesn't mm -hmm. know me, but through his creation, mm -hmm. I connected in a right. in a way, in a very intimate way. Right. And I think that's a very powerful thing. Absolutely. That a creation from someone else can give you a whole story mm -hmm. and um, something that for me will be legacy for my kids. Mm -hmm. Within us are two very different impulses. One is this concrete, physical impulse you know what you see is what it is you know it's uh, and then as you move up the chakra especially when you get to the third eye that's why it's an eye that's the abstract part that's the part where you say you can see this image and it can heal so you know people with 
more water element in their constitution tend towards less practicality and more artistic, musical, these these themes. And it's interesting, if you look culturally, at least I know in India, and traditionally, there was a place for the artist. There was a place for people who were born with that constitution. Our culture doesn't honor that now. You know, there was a place for people like me who wanted to see the future. And they could still make a living, but in our culture, it's we are very much, um, you know, what you see is what it is. But there, there are so many other layers within us. The physical layer is just one layer that we are contained in, and art definitely. I mean, my sister is a very famous artist, and you know, and it's not for me creating art. I'm I'm a writer, but it's definitely, it's the same realm as meditation for sure. Absolutely. No doubt, because if the way you describe it, it's you you are you're out of your physical reality into the abstract Correct. reality where all kinds of the magic happens, right? That's where you disconnect from this world yeah. and go into a higher self, I might yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Into the and so that's really what meditation is, is that moment. It's not sleep, you see. Because no. well sleep also takes you, by the way. It's awake sleep, right? Because you're awake, Correct. but you're not in the physical body, and uh, so I, I and think time a, is not. Um... T- you're out of time space. Correct. So we are time and space creatures of time and space, bound by that. We're also creatures of no time and space. We're both. That's what yoga is to bring those two together in union. It's not to run away from one or the other. You know, that's what I teach. I don't just say just run away to the forest and meditate all day, you know. But uh, it's to bring the two together. Right now that I saw Renu join her hands, another thing that I learned from her, which it's like, it's in every religion. This, you know, the prayer hands Mm -hmm. is the sun and the moon, the feminine and the masculine, the south and the north. You know, it's the polarity, the yin and the the yang. It's also the ha and the ta. It's the hatha yoga. That's That's brilliant. It's the polarities that must come because we are. Spiritual beings having a physical experience and you get too caught up in your physical and not remember that you're spiritual and, you know, that you are spirit, that's the polarity has been broken. You will end up in suffering. On the other hand, there are, if you just completely ignore the physical side, because we do have a body. I don't care who you are. If I pinch you, it's going to hurt. <laughs> so yoga is the union of the two. And that's really when you get to the, that's when the enlightened bell bell comes when you, and that's the, the, the Kundalini Shakti rises up for the unity and, you know, the Shiva and Shakti. I mean, we talk about polarity is a theme of all, all wisdom cultures again, to not go to the extremes of one or the other. And also sound. Um, I've learned so much through you, Renu, and I thank you. I mean, the om, we have amen. It's just, we mm-hmm. we have it in every religion. Every, every culture. It all ties up to be one. And I've learned to see it that way. I was very, if you can call it territorial, like, oh, no, that's from there. And this is from, and then I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're actually just one with tweaks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and I, it makes it a... A simpler world to live in, in my opinion. Um, I grew up in a 99% Catholic country, and I assume Nicaragua is that 
Definitely. Definitely, right? So we grew up non, not being exposed to anything but but that. And when when I moved to the States, I was fascinated by them not being so different than us. You know, it's not us and them. It's like we're actually the same. It's just the vehicle is different. People are the same everywhere. Yes. And I hadn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyone, Uni, do you have something to share Not from it. Nicaragua, your family? You said it earlier. I think Renu chimed in. You said it about Lebanese. Very traditional culture. Very family-oriented. Um, for my family in particular, having the Middle Eastern and... Latin American influence in our home, you know, you get it on both sides. So it's a very united family. Family comes first, second, and third. And there and and all the good and bad. I mean, everybody is there for you through thick and thin. It's very comforting, even though a lot of my family does live back in Nicaragua. I mean, I'm, you know, in the minority living in the States. I still feel very supported. Anything that happens, I know that they would move heaven and earth to be here for me. So, you know, I that is very comforting. Well, I'd love to be able to see my family on a daily basis. I, I often tell my, and when people find out I'm from Nicaragua, they say, oh, gosh, you know, that's I'm so sorry. You know, you must miss your home. And I said, yes, but, you know, I actually, until COVID, I should caveat that until COVID, I probably saw my family more often than many of my friends who have family in Texas, you know, because either we would go there or they come here. And, uh, and you know, fortunately, we have the ability to do that. But, you know, obviously, this last year has been thrown a put a wrinkle in that. Yes. Something that I admire from you is that you have a clarity on the hierarchy in family. Oh, yes. Um, you know, you always honor the elders. And Definitely. Um, I think that's cultural, but that has been lost nowadays. Yes. And I admire that you are very, you know, uh, strong minded about that and that you you educate your daughter and son that way. And the way you talk about your parents, I can see there's like this higher respect to oh, them. And absolutely. I mean, as you know, there is a great deal of respect for the generations that came before us. And and that just continues. A lot of it, too, for me and, and in many of our situations is that you acknowledge the sacrifices that they've made, the things that they've done to make your life better. And so it's not just an age thing, but it's also, hey, I know that you have given up a lot so that I can be where I am and have this comfortable life. And so part of that is a nod to everything that they've given up for themselves so that we could do better. Yes, that's amazing. And um, uh, I remember Renu telling me how in India they bow and touch the elders' feet. Is that correct? Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. It's like I see you and I bow to you. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Latin America has that as well. Mm -hmm. It might be in the hugging and kissing, but how we 
we even we speak to them, you never second doubt them. Well, and it's also interesting to me that even the way you refer to when you speak Spanish, the way you refer to an elder is different than how I would refer to a peer, you know, even down to the language you use. And so, you know, that's a good, that's a distinction that we don't have here in the U.S. I mean, every necessarily. And I, this comes with um, constellation therapy. I, th I think that it, it is very helpful to understand the order in which, you know, your ancestors are placed and right. when you can acknowledge that even though you have the grandfather that did this and the secret that, you know, you don't talk about, once you align that and understand that thanks to all that you are who you are now, right. it is a beautiful way to, to, to move forward. And as Brenu was saying, the river, you know, you flow like a river instead of fish, uh, like a fish against right. it. And constellation therapy, uh, I would love in another podcast, yeah. I would love for that to be um, a topic because rearranging or honoring the order of your family and their role, even me, uh, I thought I would be calling the shots and I was like why I'm the third you know this is my brother's job and once I kind of let imaginary let go of that it feels so good when I'm pampered by him I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I've always had that opportunity but somehow I thought I needed to be like him or but then you just embrace uh, the role that you have and in my case is being the connector And that comes naturally. I don't have to be overthinking it. And so that's a topic that I would love. Yeah, that's you're talking about the Hellinger talked about the order of love. The order, the order of, of love. love. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite it's very beautiful when you work with it uh, to see how. And, and again, I like it because you can see it in the horoscope where the order of love was broken. And then we have to mend it. That was the most fascinating karma. exercise when we did that. In constellation, we I think we kicked off with that, and it was mind-boggling the things you learned from your perception of how everybody fits in that family and the reality. It's very enlightening, and it's humbling at the same time yes. because you start noticing how disrespect. Well, I I cannot speak for mm -hmm. everyone, but. I had even placed some family members totally out of the <laughs> circle. Yes. You kicked them out? Uh-huh. Yes. So, so yes, sad. Just start with how you consider who is your family. So you just place people and then there's a hierarchy, uh -huh. which is, a, you know, the natural order. But it really helps you to realize even, even things you want to deny in your mm -hmm. past, They are there. Mm -hmm. And once you realize that person that ran away, what's there? And it's part of the family tree. And maybe some of the patterns, the toxic patterns of pathologies or that we inherit come from that. And we haven't even looked at that <laughs> that that person. Right. And 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 that gives you that aha moment that people mm -hmm. talk about. It's very interesting. This yes. is constellation therapy. Yes. yes. By uh, Dr. Hellinger. Dr. Hellinger, yes. Really interesting. So yes. to close today, I shared that um, 
art brings me joy. And I try to imprint that everywhere I go through. I would love hearing a little bit about what brings you joy, because to all friends that are listening to us, please know that we all have our different languages, and but there's always a way to find forgiveness. There's always a way to reconnect and to connect the dots. So, Elizabeth, could we start with you? Most definitely. The first thing that comes to mind is connecting with people, um, but specifically connecting in a constant path of growth. So I've noticed all of you talk about that, that you're on this journey of growth, self-growth. And that is something that feeds my soul. And so being able to connect with people like that and have these conversations, this brings me so much joy. Thank you. How about you, Lulu? I think what brings me a lot of joy and I realized I I should have worked more with people in public relations because I I think I'm a loyal person and I like to develop strong relationships, deep connections. That brings me a lot of joy. And I've been always an athlete. That brings moving my body. It brings me strength. And somehow I feel also inner strength. And I thankfully have learned to find the joy of working in my spiritual growth too. So my family brings me a lot of joy. Rewriting, like you are rewriting your story, Lorena, rewriting the story of my family. And even with my extended family, rewriting stories with good memories, with healthy reunions, trying to accept the differences of others. That also has helped me heal, rewriting the story. And I think I, I've been doing a good job that with my family and my extended family. That's beautiful. It's your story, own ownership of your story. My story with the big help of my beautiful aunt. That she's my big mentor. How about you, Uni? I think the thing that most brings me joy is quality time with family and friends uh, and and then having an opportunity to experience new things, travel, fun activities, conversation, challenges. As long as I'm doing it with family and friends, I'm, that brings me so much joy. I'm such a people person. Mm-hmm. You are, and, and you have an amazing career at that. Well, it ended up being my career. So, I mean, I've always tell people my career, I didn't choose my career. It kind of chose me. I stumbled on it, but it ended up being a very people-centric business. And, and I found, I, it, you know, I, it was so, came by, I came by so naturally. I mean, it just was easy for me. But definitely now that, you know, I'm grateful that got to retire early. So now I really get to pick and choose how and with whom I spend my time. And, and I'm so happy as a result of it. It's, it's removed so much stress from my life. And, and I just, you know, maybe that's why I'm always laughing because <laughs> <laughs> I just am happy to be able to do it. Oh, that's great. Also, you are a very competitive person, and that I love. 
She retired. I did not so know she, that about myself. Uh, I swear uh, to <clears> you. She retired and then, you know, she started to fill up her time by, oh, the annual fund for the school. Oh, yeah. How much did they raise last year? Okay. Yeah, I can do that. You know, <laughs> she's just a fireball and I, you're amazing at that. Well, thank you very much. Yes. And you are a connector, definitely. I, I just... People bring me joy. And if I can bring two great people together, that makes me even happier. Thank you. What about you, Rena? <laughs> well, you know, as much as I spend most of my time with people, I'm not a people person. Did you guys, <laughs> you guys pick the that up? Of you guys. <laughs> I was just thinking, Lorena is surrounded by people persons. Totally. I, I am a very private person. I think my creative outlet and what brings me joy, I look at two two different things. One is I I'm so grateful for my mother who had the immense capacity to just keep doing. I can serve my family all day. I don't ever get tired. I can just, I don't have that, you know, I need to go have fun. I need to go meet people. That's one part of my life. It's a very big part of my life, which is um, especially during COVID times because everybody's living at home. So I can cook three meals a day. I can I can clean. I can accept my closet. <laughs> I can just keep on. That brings me joy, and I that's a generate. I, I learned that from my mother and her mother before, but my personal creative force is, I am obsessed with study. What brings me joy is that next book, that next piece of knowledge, that I can expand my knowledge and it never stops. And and the past decade. It's writing, and I, I write profusely. I'm just like you, you know. You draw, I write. When I'm in those, in that process, I'm in the zone. I wow. don't, you know. I have my spiritual practice, all of that stuff. But in terms of my daily creative um, outlet, outlet, these are that. That's that's it, and it's. I can't say it's connecting people. <laughs> well, you you're actually a huge connector. I am, but I think it comes from a different place. I'm not. Uh, although you, even in my family, you know, they call me the Borg Queen. I don't know. That's from um, Star Trek. The the Borg. There's a queen that she has all the knowledge. So I have a very big. Oh. All of us with you know big fa Indian family. Of, 50 family members that every day talk to each other on WhatsApp, and it all goes through me. Because it all it filters into me and then outwards, you know, and uh, that's also part of my role. But what my most, you know, in terms of creativity, creativity and joy, it's really the next piece of knowledge I can learn. I just can't stop. It's always been that way all my life. And then write about it. That's wonderful. Lorena, what brings you joy? F my kids bring me joy. Family, definitely. Uh, being a close unit. And being in, in a good relationship. And I think that if that is solid, I get my creative juices going. Yeah, That's my outlet. But I think that my core is having a stable home and a predictable, knowing that they're there for me. And Eduardo ha has proven that in the most difficult times. And sometimes, you know, he gets very difficult And I hang on to my lowest and I can see he was there for me. Mm -hmm. And that, and then that's when I say, oh, here I go again to Renu. But in relationships, they say you divorce and marry the same person because you're actually 
divorcing your flaw mm-hmm. and you have to relearn. So I always say I want my relationship to be solid, lovable, inspiring and hopefully grow old together. That would be my, you know, ultimate joy. But in the individual level, I could believe it or not, I could be alone in a beach painting all day. You yeah. know, I'm more I'm more I am more like a loner. You're like an extrovert and introvert. You're yes. you have both qualities. Cuz it it gives me anxiety to be with a lot of people. Really? Yes. I don't it doesn't show, mm-hmm. but it's not my comfort. Like but having these conversations, I could stay here for hours, hours. and hours yeah. and hours. I can see that. One thing I've learned is, you know, also getting to enjoy the surface of things. Because if not, I always go deep, dig deeper, and the space is very attractive to me, but not necessarily very conducive to stay there. Yeah. So when I get together with Lorena, I never block less than two to three hours conservatively because it's just not going to happen. And I don't want to be rushed. And it's not when you come over for coffee it's not come over for coffee the 30 minutes no, no. that's cultural uh-huh. i was just it's about hours. to say you talked about that in the american culture like play dates play dates mm. and i remember one of the first play dates it was with our neighbors and you know the girl came and the mom was not arriving and i'm just put her in the shower with my girl and gave her dinner and sat her you know with us at the table and she sent me an, a written note which in mexico you know, the postal service is not very efficient, so you don't even write letters. <laughs> so she was thanking me for being so loving to her child. And I was like, what did I do? And then I noticed that that's not a common practice in, in Mexico. And I think in many cultures, it's like your kid is my kid. Right. If I'm taking care of him, he's part of the, uh, yeah. you know, of the cra- of the family and we're always, you know, oh, I'll cook tonight. Don't worry. I'll send you food. And we're all, mm-hmm. I'm always feeding everyone. You yes. Know? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's very cultural. And the bigger the family, the merrier. I think here we drive a lot. And I, I've told you that play dates are shorter than the drive to the play date. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, it stresses me. I'm not good with thinking and either I drive or I think. So then... I think that my time is not being used. Officially. What I I really value now is audiobooks. Like that that (laughs) has given me a, like, okay, at least I'm learning. Or a podcast. Yeah, or a podcast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That has been like the best thing because then I don't, music not necessarily, I want to, either I'm in silence or, you know, specific songs that I need. But the storytelling part that I love. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing this space. Thank you for sharing your way on how you're on your way to your journey. Life is full of bumpy roads and windy roads, but I think at the end, it's a beautiful journey and I'm very blessed to have you here. Renus, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, gosh. I know that (laughs) having you leave your home (laughs) <laughs> is a big you know big that right yeah. i do I'm an and intro- i value i'm an introvert yeah. yes so thank you for the trust all of you thank you for the trust 
this is the first time for us doing it. Yes, and, um, thank you. It's been a learning curve. So friends out there listening to us do know that we are here as vulnerable as can be and we're here together in the journey and whether you like it or not, you're on the way. Thanks for listening to On My Way with Lorena Hunko Margain. We'd like to invite you to send us your thoughts and any questions from this podcast by emailing Lorena at LorenaHuncoMargain.com. You can also reach out to us directly through our website by clicking the link in the show description of this podcast. This podcast is a production of Terra Firma and recorded from the historic Arlen Studios in Austin, Texas. Special thanks to executive producer Casey Helmick, studio engineer Joseph Olkeen, audio and video editor Scott Caro, and our special guest featured in season one, including Renu Nanjashi. Renu Nanjashi.